This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, a show about the most interesting people and stories in Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist with Mississippi Today. There's a name synonymous here in the capital city and the whole entire state, not only with great food, but also with St. Patrick's Day. Just St. Malcolm White and both are covered. Malcolm is a restaurateur, a promoter, a food enthusiast, author of numerous articles about food in Mississippi. He's a creator of award-winning recipes in the southern genre and host of MPB's Think Radio's Deep South Dining. As you probably know if you're a regular listener here on Monday, he formerly served as a director of Mississippi Arts Commission until he retired in 2020. And he's also the former owner of Hallamal's Restaurant in downtown Jackson. He's a founder of Annual Hal's St. Patty's Parade. 40 years. It's hard Mm. to believe that's been 40 years. He's here to tell his story, his life growing up in Mississippi, projects that he's passionate about, and of course, St. Patrick's Day. Man, Malcolm, man, this is great to be able to sit down with you. I always follow you and Carol, which is always a treat because I get to, <laughs> to hang out with you for about three minutes. And, three minutes until we get out of the studio. Yeah, exactly. Because there's usually like, if folks could ever see that, I'm, I'm kind of glad they don't have a camera because it's kind of like, get out. It's like we're about ready to jump out of the burning plane trying to get out of there. But man, thanks for being on today. Sure. Glad to be here. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> a busy but fun time of year for sure. You're about to say, and that's the other thing. Thank you for taking being able to take an hour out of your time right now because we're coming right up on the parade and um I, you're like in training, and I love this. You're actually in physical training to be, get ready oh, for the boy. parade. Yeah. yeah, it's come to that. I've been uh, walking uh, extra. Uh, instead of one walk a day, I've been doing two walks a day, but unfortunately, I've had a bursitis flare-up uh, at the ripe old age of 72. So I've had to slow it back down, get on the steroids, start doing physical therapy in order to perform for the people on 25 of March in our 40th annual house, St. Patty's Parade and Festival in downtown Jackson. I just picture it like a Rocky montage, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're going up the mountain carrying the But when you were 42 years old and y'all were walking around in rush hour traffic, in downtown Jackson, but people didn't know what was going on. There was no traffic control. It was crazy. You you had Jill and her friends throwing potatoes at people. I mean, this whole thing was crazy. Did you have any idea at that point that this thing would be going on now for 40 years? Oh, of course not. Yeah. Um, I do tell people this. People ask me question uh, questions like that from time to time about could you have imagined? Of course, you know, the business I was in back then was actually the promotion, production, producer business. I was trying to invent events. I was trying to create celebrations. I was working on Jubilee Jam, St. Patty's Day, Zoo Blues. Uh, I was publishing the Diddy Wah Diddy magazine. I, I mean, I, this was what I did for a living, if you could call it that, uh, trying to segue out of restaurant bars and into this promotion production business. So, you know, when I would do something like this, of course, the idea was that it had some sustainability because I was trying to create a business, a creative business. Uh, but in the first year, no, it was really just uh, grab your friends and let's go have a big time, see what happens. But by year three, I had a very clear sense that this thing had legs, it had appeal, people were interested. It was really, it had some possibilities. And I begin to think of it as an annual event, plan it year in, year out, because I knew then that it was... Uh, you know, it was something that people wanted, uh, and it was working. So, yeah, I knew then, but not in year one. Year one was just, let's go have some fun and see what happens. I, I got to tell you, uh, for 10 years, I did a 5K run in downtown Jackson called Run from the Sun. I helped promote it, uh, put it on, produced it, everything else. That was probably one of the hardest things I ever did in my life because there were just so many moving parts to it. You had to deal with the police. You had to deal with the city. You had to deal with, you know, you worried about the safety of everybody and everything else. And that's been an issue for you over the years that in some ways has gotten harder to to make sure that everything's done. 40 years into this, I mean, it's obviously a huge production. 
how do you get – I mean, obviously, you start the day after the parade and start figuring out what you're going to do for the next one. But then now you're coming off the pandemic, too. So that's right. been particularly challenging lately. Man, I can't even describe uh, how different life is uh, in post-COVID. And I won't try to because everybody who's listening to this show has experienced something very similar to my story. But as a producer of events, as the owner of a small business, particularly the restaurant and bar business, the pandemic uh, was a monster. And uh, uh, lots of things changed and continue to change. Uh, But I will say this, in terms of just organizing the parade, it is a year-round event. Uh, A couple of years ago, I decided to start thinking about continuity planning, which means that there will come a time when I will step back and others will step forward. It's just the way it is. got to make sure your children carry on, right? If they want to, and in many cases like Hal and Mal's, they've chosen not to carry on, and then you have to make another decision. The decision I made at Hal and Mal's was if the kids don't want it, then I'm going to sell it or find some other people right. who want, and that's how I sold to uh, the Kavikis and um, and anyway so the parade I decided a few years ago to transition to a nonprofit I created a nonprofit fund at the Community Foundation for Mississippi uh, we raise about a hundred thousand dollars a year to put this on this free event for the public and oftentimes people are confused about the after party the for-profit piece that goes on in the street between Martins and Howl and Miles and the parade itself. They're very different. They're structured different. The parade is a 501c3. It has a nonprofit fund at the Community Foundation for Mississippi. The after party uh, is a for-profit event uh, where Howl and Miles and Capital City Beverage and many of our sponsors and Martins and all uh, actually have, that's the only revenue source for all of this except for the fund raising. So I, I prepared all of that. This year, I added another layer. I created an advisory, a community advisory board and hired a young fellow, Alex Coates, to shadow me uh, and and Brandy, my niece, who's done so much of this work over the years. So more and more steps each year to uh, to plan for uh, secession and, you know, just making sure that there is a way for it to continue if, in fact, the city, the people, the sponsors, the community foundation, all of those involved want it to continue. And that will be their decision ultimately. Down the road. But like you said, you, you're feeling like you're at least leaving it in good hands. And, you know, when I said family, you know what? It's almost like it is an extra kid having this right. thing that's forty years, you know, forty years old. You want to make sure that's well taken care of and lives on. Right. So on that, you know, you you mentioned the pandemic, and you're right. I think everybody lost something, and and you you got it particularly hard between the restaurant and, of course, you know, you're putting on large events where people are together. Guess what? You can't do that either. Right. Um, I would say with the water crisis that's happened in Jackson, with the pandemic, we're coming out of that still. I mean, I still think we're, I mean, we're back roaring and going, but I mean, we're still kind of psychologically coming out of it. I would say this this year's parade is probably one of the most important parades of the 40 years. It could be uh, because of what you described. Um, you know, uh, this morning when I sit down to read my morning inspirational meditation uh, readings, uh, I, I make notes in there and tomorrow, Uh, On the 11th day of March 2020 is when I shut down the parade for that year. And I was cursed and called names and accused of conspiracy theories like you would not believe because there was a segment of the population who thought I was – you know, cratering to the liberal, you know, hysteria about a pandemic, which is has been proven to be uh, idiotic uh, and crazy. And but I was I had to cancel the parade on the advice uh, of the Mississippi Health Department and those that I, whose opinions I honor, the mayor and others, the chief of police. And there was an outrage, you know, how could I possibly, you know, do that and uh, give in to this uh, paranoia about this pandemic? But either way, so I closed, I shut the parade down on the 11th, I shut uh, Howlin' Mouse down on the 16th, and I shut the Mississippi Arts Commission down in terms of the office on the 20th. And I did all of those in a week. Mm. 
and looking back, that was just the beginning of how my life would change. Yeah. So, yes, uh, things are very different now. Uh, we have come a long, long way. We have a ways to go. There, there are still all the ramifications of, of that period, financial, emotional, psychological. But, you know, we're on a good foot now, and it's somewhat past and somewhat behind us. And I'm uh, looking forward to being a part of the, the new normal, whatever that might be, Marshall. I've been a big admirer of you personally as well as professionally. I, mean, I think you're about as good of an ambassador to the state of Mississippi as I've met in my 26 years here. I mean, I'm still a newcomer, right? <laughs> I just got here. You know, I'm, but, but I've always been impressed. And, and just studying you from afar, I would say your superpower is your family. At yeah. the end of the day, I mean, whether it was your dad, whether it was Hal, whether it's now Kara, or whether it's your children, I mean, you just literally you are surrounded by people that, and, and I think that's honestly what probably got you through that hardest week of your life, and then the, having mm. to adapt, and because you've had to make a lot of adaptation and a lot of change, and that's, you know, I'm 55 and you're 72, right? So it's not as easy. It's a lot. It was a lot easier to do this kind of stuff when we were 25. <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah, change for breakfast. You know, yeah. bring it on. And right. now it's like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, now it's like. I, I mean, I understand that change is absolute, and um, I'm not afraid of it. But it is more difficult than it used to be, for sure. But yeah, the, my family, uh, both kin and you know, just advisors. Yeah. My team, my. Uh, my posse have always been support, supportive and essential in in all of this. You know, you know that includes Jill Connor Brown, that includes Vivian Neal, that includes Kara, as you mentioned, my daughter Zeta, and her grandmother Zeta was involved in the Piggott family, and uh, you know uh, Peyton Prosper and 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 Carol Puckett, my yeah. co-host on Deep South Dining. Um, and many people we bring in, Charlie Abraham, Bob McFarlane, Adolphus Blackman, these are people who come every year and help, who participate in and help produce lots of events, not just the St. Patty's Parade. But yeah, the the tribe is, is essential, and I don't know what I would have done uh, without them, sure. Yeah, that's and that's, I mean, I think honestly, and after living here for 26 years, I think that's one of Mississippi's superpowers, mm-hmm. is that, that I think we get that, we realize that a little bit better than other places in the country yeah it's an interesting place uh we you know it's complicated as i used to tell people when i was the state tourism director that would be the facebook status (laughs) it's complicated i would say that mississippi has the curiosity factor yes it may not be positive it may not be what we want people to think we may be last on every list we want to be first on and first on every list we want to be last on but we are a fascinating people we have a curious culture our story is is rich and diverse, whether you're talking about civil war or civil rights or music or the arts or history, you know, I think that is our greatest asset. I believe Mississippi's greatest asset is the Mississippi story. And I have spent my entire life promoting that story, telling that story, trying to get people to buy into that story, because it not only creates economic development, but it creates civic pride. And when you have civic pride, you're invincible. You talk about the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have civic pride and people are proud of where they live and where they're from and where they worship and where they go to school and who their family is, you can get a lot of stuff done. I remember when they filmed The Help up in Greenwood. I mean, that was like, number one, economically huge. I mean, just not only from the actual effect of filming the movie there. But also for the fact that people wanted to come there and see where the movie was filmed. I mean, but the people in, in Greenwood were super between that and what was going on with Viking at the time. Right. There was just this sense of incredible pride. And, and that's where I think like the arts, for instance, and with your work with the Arts Commission, I mean, I think that's one of our superpowers is the fact that we've got that. Um, gosh, I want to do everything we can to help promote it and make it even more going to make just more people realize how important it is to, to our DNA. Yeah. The Viking story is a great one. You know, Fred Carl and Margaret Carl and what they did uh, in Greenwood, the revitalization of a community through a creative industry was very much a centerpiece of my 
public career where I talked about the creative economy and, uh, you know, the valuing what artists and, and creatives uh, bring to the economy. Uh, and I still believe that we have dropped the ball on that. I, mm-hmm. When Haley Barber was governor and I was director of the Arts Commission, uh, and Brent Christensen was the director of uh, MDA. We were all on the same page, and we agreed that Mississippi had a lot of assets, had a lot of possibilities, a lot of projects. But we were all focused on, and Leland Speed, I might add, yeah. were all focused on promoting this creative asset, this thing that everybody wants to know about Mississippi, the blues, the writers, the Civil War, the civil rights struggle, the antebellum architecture, all of this stuff, the history, is our most important asset and our least developed. And we need to focus more on that. People say, why are there so many creative people from Mississippi? You know, what is it in the water? What is it? Is it the struggle? What is it? Who cares what it is? It exists. It is well known. It is well documented. And we need to promote it and encourage it and incentivize it. If we incentivize industry and manufacturing, why can't we incentivize the creative economy? It's our greatest asset. So that is that is what I spent a lot of years doing. I, you know, I hope that others will pick that up and continue with it. Uh, and, and it is just, you know, it is our DNA. It how, is our DNA. How did you get into the public side of things? I mean, because, I, you know, <laughs> I was just like one day I was like, oh, man, Malcolm's like wearing a suit. What's going on? Here? Yeah, it was strange for sure. Um this guy, Brent Christensen, who was hired to run MDA, uh, came to Jackson, and uh, I, I had already – I was at the Arts Commission, and we had launched a creative economy initiative, and uh, I just kept bugging him about what role was MDA going to play once he got his team together, and mm-hmm. was he interested? Did he understand what we were talking about? Was By then, uh, Phil Bryant had become governor. And I knew there were challenges there. But with Brent, I thought this guy could be my Leland Speed. And he was. And he embraced what I'm talking about. He promoted me. He hired me. He made me on the – he put me on the management team. He engaged me at MDA uh, and plugged me in all across the state in the essential economic development conversations and gatherings. And this creative economy thing really took – hold when he was here. He only lasted three years, uh, much like myself. Yeah. Uh, he left and I was fired and um, because I just uh, wasn't willing to toe the party line. Uh, I was an independent thinker and I thought that's why they hired me. I may have been confused about that, but... Uh, But uh, when, uh, you know, after three years, they decided that they no longer needed my services. And you begin to see less conversation about the creative economy, less support of arts and uh, culture. And the things, you know, some things continued. The two museums, uh, Marty Stewart's project, some of these things are still going on. And that's great. And I support them all and encourage them all. But as a state strategy, it was sort of taken off the books uh, after that, and I, I regret that, and I, and hopefully someday it will reemerge. Certainly it won't during this administration. I will say that d- when Haley Barber was office, and you truly did sense that Haley got it. Uh, he got a lot of things, like, for instance, he, welcoming the Freedom Riders to come back in, into Jackson, which you would think maybe that wouldn't be on Haley's playbook, but he was smart enough to understand that it was good for the state to do that. And, um, you know, you go up to, say, the B.B. King Museum up in Indianola, mm-hmm. and you look at their guest book. Every person almost in a row is from Europe. Oh, yeah. You understand yeah. that, you know, there is a draw here. International tourists. Yep. yep. Um, and they have money. And, and they, they spend more per capita than any other known tourist type in the business. And we get our fair share. We could get more. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so much for the politics. Oh, no, uh, but but uh, I spent uh, 15 years between the Arts Commission and uh, Visit Mississippi. Those were great years. I have no regrets. Um, 
you know, I was fired. I was put on probation. I was, that was, you know, I was a pain uh, uh, in a lot of people's sides. And I'd regret absolutely none of that. I'm just, I'm just shocked to think that you'd be a pain in anybody's side. I've never, <laughs> never seen that side of you, Malcolm. I would say the biggest blessing on that, and, and it's something that I've been very grateful just being able to speak all over the state, is the fact you got to travel the state. Man, it was great. Yeah. I drove, I'd be in Hattiesburg one day and Corinth the next, and I'd be in Greenwood one day and Meridian the next. And I stopped in every small town. I talked to every mayor. I talked to every economic developer. I went to any luncheon that anybody would have me. I spoke to school groups. I went to schools. Um, I went everywhere. I worked with community colleges. I was so excited about the possibility of being of service to yeah. the state that had given me such a um, a rich life and a great upbringing. You know, my father was president of a community college, and he always told me, do not get into public service. <laughs> you know, do not get into public service. You'll never make any money. Uh, you'll be criticized for everything you do, whether it's right or wrong, and it's just a tough way uh, to make a living. And so, you know, I've spent most of my life in the private sector, but those 15 years— uh, you know, it was about my dad and hearkening back to his time and what he did, how he did it. And I tried to emulate that and to give back. You know, I, I did not join the military uh, in my youth. And I've I'd be some people scoff at this, but I felt like those 15 years that I donated and gave to state service was was my service work. Yeah. I mean, whatever we can do to support that, that's great. You're listening now. You're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. I'm back with the one and only Malcolm White, uh, pre-parade. He's doing all of his pre-game. He's getting ready for it. <laughs> yeah, pre-game's a little bit different now, I guess. Probably includes steroids and uh, ibuprofen. <laughs> and, and physical therapy. <laughs> yeah, physical therapy. I can't believe you're like out training, doing two-a-days like football, like you're playing football to get out there and ready to, to march the 2.5 yeah, miles. I miscalculated that one, but. <laughs> Uh, either way, uh, I'll be there uh, in one way, shape, form, or another to, That's right. to uh, lead them. Fire the up the golf cart. We're excited. You know, this year we've got the JSU Sonic Boom on now, I was going to ask how that happened. Number one, that's great. I mean, number because they're, they're amazing. If, if anybody has not ever seen them, number one, shame on you. you. You probably should have seen them at this point, especially with all the attention Jackson State's been getting, well, lately. Not so good, maybe in the last <laughs> few weeks. But great unbelievably talented, so energetic, so much fun. That's, and there's so much fun in a parade. So, I mean, what a win to get them to march. Yeah, it was great. And, and we, we owe a lot to the Mississippi Lottery, who is, quote-unquote, sponsoring them and yeah. presenting them. And we would not have been able to have done it without them. So we're grateful for that. But, you know, the, the Sonic Boom is a local treasure. We, yes. we talk about Bobby Rush and the Blues and Jesse Robinson and Cassandra Wilson, who is our Grand Marshal this year. What with a, a wonderful. A theme of 40 years of all that jazz. Cassandra is a two-time Grammy Award winner, Time Magazine Jazz Vocalist of the Year. Uh, she has her own blues marker uh, placed here in Jackson for her career in jazz and blues. And for those of you who don't know, America contributed only about five original art forms to uh, the, the art canon of our globe. One is uh, modern dance. Two is jazz blues. Three, Marshall, you might know, is cartooning. Four is the film industry, not the creation of cinema, but the creation of the industry, Hollywood. And the last one is modern dance. Wow. And you're one of them, and Cassandra's one of them. Of the four or five original art forms, hip-hop is also included yeah. in that. Yeah. Uh, Java always corrects me. It goes blues, jazz, hip-hop. But it's all you know, coming out of the alluvial soil of the Mississippi Delta from West Africa. That's really cool. And, and thank God for Java, too. Man, love love some Java Chapman. <laughs> yeah, we got to give some to both Jermaine and to Java. We yeah, give it, Jermaine is a, a beautiful soul. Her own, self. they're a big part of it. <laughs> because how did you how did you decide on Cassandra? Because what a what a great choice. She's well, I mean, she's, she's just amazing. She's just like pure energy. Well, you mentioned it earlier that we create all of these remarkable talents. Sometimes they leave because they have to to pursue their careers. Cassandra had to leave here to become Cassandra Wilson. Yeah. But she came back 
and she now lives here and she has come home and uh, I've always been her friend. I've always admired her. We gave her the Governor's Awards, uh, the Governor's Arts Award when I was at the Arts Commission. We've been friends. Um, I knew her back when she was fronting the band these days. Um, and even before that, she was a folk singer uh, singing down at George Street Grocery. But, but either way, I always try to think of interesting themes that correlate with the grand marshal uh you know we we had felder one year as you, we were speaking with felder yeah out we in the had three of us here. together at the same time it was <laughs> <laughs> he was a great grand marshal but i just thought cassandra would be good i you know 40 years of all that jazz was just kind of a thing i wanted to throw out there again hearkening and remembering and celebrating that Mississippi uh, is the birthplace of America's music, and we contributed this really essential art form uh, to you know to the globe. Yeah, and it just what a great theme too. I can't wait to see the floats. It's just it's going to be fun. Tell us a little bit about the day. How does it kick off? I mean, actually, it kicks off before the day. But how, I mean, talk about the events and everything that's going to go around. Well, this year the we, we took the run. You mentioned uh, your involvement in the run, and for many years. We took over the old Lamarathon mm-hmm. when Lamar Life Insurance Company had the first run in Jackson. It was called the Lamarathon, and they did it for years. And when that when that business transitioned, we took it over, and it became the Lamarathon at the St. Patty's Parade. And ultimately, we just changed it to the St. Patty's Day run, benefiting children's of Mississippi. Uh, but this year, we decided, and this was a really kind of a, a post-COVID thing, we decided that we could do better. We wouldn't just have a run the morning off. We could really focus on that aspect and build it up. So on the 18th of Saturday, before the parade, uh, UMMC in conjunction with Children's of Mississippi, is hosting a run for the rainbow. It is a 5K, 10K, and half marathon, beginning and ending at Hallamow's, running through the campus of UMMC, through the Bellhaven Town Center, and back to Hallamow's. Uh, you know, think Blues Marathon, but this one is uh, a St. Patty's Marathon. So that's on the 18th. On the 24th, the Friday night before the parade this year, we all we have the a stomp, we call it, that, that begins at Cathead Distillery, and we stomp our way up to Howlin' Mouse, and it's sort of a kickoff. On that very same night of the 24th, Jill will be giving away a car that she does annually with Patty Peck Honda. Patty Peck Honda donates a car. Jill has a drawing, gives it away on the Friday night before, and all the money goes to children's of mississippi as does all the money from the 18th all of the run revenues and other various pieces the sweep and other uh, monies go to umMC not so much because we can raise the kind of money they need but because we like to tell their story and we like for people to know uh, about the great work that's going on at umMC and particularly at Children's of Mississippi. So then on parade day, Saturday morning, the 25th, we start with the kids parade, the pet parade, the kids festival, and then the adult parade, Howe's 40th uh, St. Patty's Parade kicks off at 1. We begin at the corner of, of Court and State Street. We parade north to the old Capitol and then down Capitol Street, past the governor's mansion to Lamar Street, and then back south on Lamar Street to court and court back to state, which is our has been our route for some time now. And uh, and then after that, everybody gathers uh, on Commerce Street between Hallamals and Martins. There's lots of band, lots of music, food. Uh, beer, fun stuff, a big time is had by all. And and then that concludes at about dark, and then Martins goes on into the wee-wee hours, and uh, we be, we begin the cleanup, which begins at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning in downtown Jackson. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like Mardi Gras. On that, yeah. It's its own event with sweepers and blowers and uh, lots of people, Hines County, the city of Jackson, everybody pitches in, downtown Jackson and partners. It's a massive cleanup effort. It's a production unto itself. And this year, we are handing that off to young Alex Coates for his inaugural year, so we'll see how he does. <laughs> Wish him all the luck in the world on that. 
How many, I mean, like I said, you, you just throwing out some of the names of the people that help and produce this. And I don't, if people are not familiar with the parade, number one, I, what's the weather like in the rock you're living under? Because I don't know how you missed it in the last 40 years. But generally, let people, I mean, how many folks usually come out to the parade? Well, it's impossible to know for certain because there's no way to count them. They don't pay any fee. They don't go through a gate. They don't have a ticket. So, you know, often the estimation is done by the Jackson Police Department. And we will hear 50,000. We will hear 70,000. We will hear 40,000. I don't know. All I know is every every street is jammed 20, 30, 40, 50 deep with people. It's a huge crowd. Uh, there's about a thousand people that participate in the parade. Uh, there's usually around 50 floats, four or five marching bands, some brass bands, lots of marching crews. Uh, but uh, huge crowds, uh, great economic impact, somewhere around 7 to $10 million on the local economy that That's weekend. Incredible. Yeah. We get the support of both Visit Mississippi and Visit Jackson and Downtown Jackson Partners. The Community Foundation uh, for Mississippi through the Shackelford Fund supports us. Capital City Beverage. You know, we have lots of great supporters who come in year after year after year because as I said at the beginning of our conversation, I have to raise $100,000 every year just to put this free event on. Right. right. A lot of that costs, of course, obviously, is security, the police, cleanup, so forth. So, I mean, right. there's just a lot of moving The pieces. city of Jackson uh, gives us a grant. They also, you know, provide security. Hines County also yeah. provides security. The Capitol Police also provide security. You know, there's a lot in the news about JPD, Hines County, and Capitol Police. If you want to see the three of them work together harmoniously, come out to the parade because all three are involved and they work toward a common goal of public safety on parade day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, you know, with everything that's happened with the water crisis, there's been several different things that have happened in the city of Jackson. It's just, it's, and you talk about Bellhaven Town Square, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute because I know you've got a little bit of uh, family skin in the game <laughs> on that, too. And I, I think it's wonderful because it's like the next generation. But, I mean, I went to an event there. I think Fertile Ground had done, you know, a crawfish boil, and it was just crowded with people. And they were having a great time. And, like, you totally forget about the problems just for a minute. It gives you a chance because when you're having fun, yeah. it kind of recharges your batteries. Well, you know, that's the beauty of the celebration business that I've right. been in all my adult life is that, you know, it takes you away from your day-to-day problems. When I when I moved here, there weren't a lot of cultural celebrations. Uh, and one thing I wanted to do if I was going to stay here was to create some. Yeah. And when did you move here? I moved here in 1979, just in time for the, for flood. the flood. Look at you. Yeah, good and timing. one of my first jobs was running Oliver's Restaurant in Highland Village, and I remember getting in John Boats down on Lakeland Drive and taking a John Boat to Poets and loading all of their food out of their freezer and their refrigerator into the John Boats and hauling it back to Oliver's in Highland Village and storing it for them with the hope that they would be back on their feet in short order. And that was my very first uh, experience in Jackson. Wow. And you didn't leave? <laughs> no, I did not leave. I'm still here. I came here for one year, and uh, I am still here. You came here for one year? I took a job for one year because I had no interest in living in Jackson. I was headed back to New Orleans where I had lived and worked in 75 and 76. I was working for a New Orleans restaurant um, industry, a business called Ichabod's. They had three properties in New Orleans, one in Hattiesburg. I was in school at USM, running Hattiesburg, the Ichabod's, and I was headed back to New Orleans to work for this group. And a guy named Joey Mitchell, who owned George Street at the time, who became a great friend of mine, came down to see me and offered me a job. It was a deal I couldn't turn down at that point in my life. And I said, Joey, I don't really want to live in Jackson. I've been there. I've spent a lot of time in Jackson. I've lived there before. I'm headed back to New Orleans, but I will come up there for a year because my very best friend, Michael Rubenstein, lives there. And he has encouraged me to take this job and come hang out in Jackson. He's convinced that it's a great town. So I'm going to come up there for one year, and then I'm going to head back to New Orleans. 
And, you, and you know, I, I always joke because I came here for two. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm 26 years later, I always joke it's the Hotel California. Right. No way out. <laughs> Check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Man, Rubenstein, there's a name I haven't thought of in a while. Wow, Man, what a, what a, Rube was, he and I were high school friends. Um, we were friends all through our lives. We traveled together. We were buddies. We did everything. Um just a great guy uh you know he not only was a great sportscaster probably the best sportscaster to ever come out of this market though there's some really good ones uh for sure but he was a great writer great producer uh, a great anchor uh later ran the, the mississippi sports hall of fame as you know and museum but uh, lifelong friend uh you know in, in many ways I stayed here because of him and yeah. his, his posse, the yeah. friends that he had, became my friends. And it was nice, and I liked it. And it was a small community where you could get almost anything done, uh, and, it, and it was uh, it was a, a blank palette, really. It was an empty slate. And so I, I thought, man, I can make a mark here. There's a lot I can get done here. And so I set about doing that. But Rube was there every step of the way, for sure. Definitely. And, of course, Hal. Oh. I mean, you know, best, yeah. best soup in the world, I will say that. Yeah, I miss man those can make soups. some soups. But being in business with my brother was a great yeah. uh, adventure. And, you know, when we opened, it was uh, my ex-wife, Vivian Neal, and Hal and I, the three of us, opened Hal and Mouse. And then she, she, she stepped out at some point, and then it was Hal and I. And then I stepped out at another point, and then it was Hal and his family. But, yeah, I miss Hal every day. It'll be 10 years here in about a week that he has left us. And the reason I renamed the parade How St. Patty's Parade is that I believe that people die in two ways. One way that we die is physically when our body ceases to function and we are no longer uh, able to breathe and function. And the other is when people stop mentioning our name. Yeah. So I thought if I named this parade after my brother, people would always call my brother's name and he would be remembered. Yeah. And I mean, was it you, you had the restaurant for 37 years? 37 years. Wow. Yeah. And they said that had to be a tough decision. But, I mean, it's obviously one that when you're done with it and you put it into good hands. I mean, That's great right. hands. Great. Right. I mean, they're just – so – but that had to be a very tough – I thought about you because I remember it was around November, I think it was, when, when you sold it. And I was just – I would come into the radio station I'd see you and I was like, he looks like he has a little <laughs> bit of weight off his shoulders now. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough decision, but the right decision. Yeah. And it did not come without some angst and anxiety and some – uh, you know, criticism and some questioning, but uh, I see a theme here. <laughs> Seems like whenever you make decisions, there's all those those components put into it. Yeah, but you doesn't seem to slow you down. I mean, you still make no. The decision. You got to keep moving forward, man. Yeah. And uh, that th- this was a tough one. Uh, the parade's going to be a tough one. Right. To segue out of the parade is going to be hard, but it's essential. It has to happen. But, uh, you know, my whole life has been about transitions. Yeah. I lost my mom when I was three. Uh, you know, we lost my brother now 10 years ago. Um, things come and things go. We lost Jubilee Jam. Sue Blues went away. Christmas by the River. All these events that oh, I had wow. created uh, have come and gone. And that's okay. That's just part of it, you know. I'm just seeing if my memory. Didn't you lose your mom to melanoma? That's right. Yeah. That's, that's what right. you and I have in common. Yeah. Yeah, Among other things. but Yeah, no, that's true. But I, no, I just remember that. And three, that's tough. I, I mean, you never really had strong memories of her. Right. Almost none. Yeah. Really sad, you know. But, uh, you know, I think she'd my be, family I, stepped in and no, it I all know. worked out nicely. It all worked out great. And I, I think she'd be remarkably proud of everything you've been able to accomplish. One of the things I enjoy that you do, and I, like I said, this is the artist eye in me. Um, I love your photographs. Oh, and thanks, I love man. your little book of, of little Instagram photos that you took along the way. Because like I said, you know, one of the beauties of you traveling around the state is you've been able to catch, you know, and I, I'm probably more prone to taking pictures of sunrises and sunsets and all that stuff. But you catch little nuanced uh, pieces of Mississippi that really do tell our story really well. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that. I had a lot of fun. I, I love photographing. I started photographing in college when I was at Ole Miss. I took a news photography class from Gail Bentley, and I learned how to oh, use Gail. a 35-millimeter and how to develop my own yeah. film. And Gail kept saying, White, none of your photographs are newsworthy. And I was like, <laughs> and they never will be. 
Mr. Denley. I'm here to learn how to use this camera and to develop the film. I don't care about the news. <laughs> I care about art. And uh, yeah. so he he put up with me and, and let me learn that. And then when when the iPhone came along and Instagram and all that, I was reborn because I could do all that in my camera. And I started taking shots and manipulating them and fooling with them and ended up publishing that book, Little Stories, because of my friend Chandler Griffin uh, put it together for me. I'm so proud of it. I love that book. It's out of print now, but uh, I sold a, I printed a thousand. I sold a thousand. And I love that little book. It really does tell it does tell the story of how I see the world that I live in. Yeah. The perspective from which I see life, light, and structure, and composition. It's at, That's it. If you're ever curious, like, what does Malcolm White think? What does he see? Just go open up little stories, and it's all right there. That's what I said. I, I, I love your Facebook page for that reason, because you'll uh, every once in a while post a picture, and it's just like, oh, that's that's Malcolm. That's really cool. You suffered a pretty big loss during Katrina. Um, I mean, you had a place down there, and, and I just remember your refrigerator basically got pushed through the, the whole thing. You were Bay St. Louis, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah that, that was what, rough. Wasn't that an amazing—I mean, and, you know, I talk about that a lot. Of course, I don't know if it worked for the pandemic, but during that it did. When things get bad, we got good. I mean, it was just amazing seeing people rise up to the challenge. And I guess it was because it was something that was tangible and that we could see as opposed to a virus. But, man— I mean, just the recovery of the Mississippi Gulf Coast is a story for the ages. Yeah, and that's really the second reason I got in public service. The first was to emulate my father um, and to start over again at that point in my life. Because um, in 2004, uh, I went in drug and alcohol treatment center and changed my life completely. And I'm 18 years sober and... One of the things that I did was took this job at the Arts Commission as a part of that change. Katrina happened um, just shortly after I got sober. So as I was going down to Bay St. Louis to see what was left of my house, if anything, I didn't even know if it was still standing. Uh, I had I read an email that said that the Arts Commission was looking for a a new executive director. I called my friend Robert St. John. He called his friend Peyton Prosper. Carol Puckett got involved, and all these Palmer got involved. And the next thing I know, I was interviewing for that job and cleaning out my house in Bay St. Louis at the same time. And so in a sort of strange way, that's where I formulated this idea of arts and culture being our most important asset. I created a mantra when I accepted that job that said, no recovery is a complete recovery without the recovery of your arts, culture, and story. Hmm. I sold that to Haley Barber. He didn't have to think twice whether or not this was important. And I said, the Arts Commission is going to lead an effort with all the other cultural organizations in Mississippi to be a part of recovery. You can build new schools. You can build new bridges. You can put down new asphalt. But you also have to remember that you are are in the process of restoring your story, your culture, your art. What is important to you? Music, photographs, memories. So, you know, we took up that banner at the Arts Commission leading that charge. We were able to get artists uh, designated as small business owners. We got $2 million, which at the time was a huge amount of money from the Department of Labor for grants for artists to recover and to think about coming back to Mississippi. We put art on bridges. We we did all sorts of interesting things. Uh, we did not lose a single cultural institution after Katrina. All the symphony, the museums, everything came back and then some. And so that was kind of how I was able to process Katrina. I was recovering personally in my house. I lost two houses. Actually, I lost three structures. My main house flooded five feet of water throughout the house. I had a rental property that lost its roof and was almost completely destroyed that I had to rebuild. And I had a little small service station that I had bought as an investment property. 
and it got whacked. So I had three properties under some sort of insurance, no insurance, you know, remodel, contractor going. And I took this job at the Arts Commission saying that the Arts Commission would be a part of, you know, the recovery of arts, culture, and story. You're listening now. You're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today, and I'm back with the one and only Malcolm White. Malcolm, this has been great show. Thank you for taking the time with us today. I mean, you know, I mean, you've already got an hour. You're on the air, so we're going to make you do another hour. <laughs> People may be sick and tired of hearing from me. No, no. It's been great. I mean, I like hearing a little bit of backstory, and I think the one thing, if I were to um, create a picture of you, it, just this resilience of being able to and because it's like that's where the joy is is recovering and coming back and that's where the beauty is is doing the work and that's where the art is yeah, yeah. I, I agree some of the greatest art um, ever created was created out of recovery and uh, you know really difficult circumstances um, and you know you hear a lot of artists I, I listen to a lot of interviews and watch uh, clips and stuff from from artists, visual artists, musicians, um, th- actors, and so many of them tell the story about why they were so creative when they were young and poor and kind of desperate versus when they get older and get some money and a little girth that they're just not quite as creative. You know, yeah. I, that's not true for everybody, but it is a sort of reoccurring theme that when you're young and hungry and in pain and sleeping in your car. The creative juices seem to flow more, and then the you know the transitional time seems to be the same. But yes, out of chaos comes creativity, I suppose. Well, I mean, let's go back to Mississippi and why we're so creative here. And I, and I think it's kind of like the same reason that oysters create pearls. You get that irritant, you get that grit, <laughs> you get that pain, and, and we create this beautiful bomb around it. Whether it's the blues, or whether it's our writing, or whether it's the great painters that we've had here, whatever. But to tell that story and tell it in a way that's very raw and emotional, it creates the pearls that we have in our whole arts community. Yeah. yeah. Willie Morris used to refer to it as the struggle, that Mississippi's great contribution uh, comes from the struggle. And Lord knows we've had a struggle uh, throughout our existence. And Um, I do love that Willie had his own phone in Howland Mouth, which I still think is one of the greatest stories of all time. (laughs) Yeah. When Willie moved back to Jackson or moved to Jackson, well, actually, Willie grew up and he was born in um, Jackson, lived in Belhaven before he went to Yeza City. But and I put a marker up with a bunch of friends of mine down on uh, Jefferson Street, right beside the Bellhaven Town Center to commemorate Willie's uh, early uh, years here uh, in a location that w- was where his aunt and uncle's house used to sit behind the old Jitney 14. Anyway, just check it out when you're riding up and down Jefferson Street, the Willie Morris marker. But uh, he, he always talked about it as being the struggle. Uh, some people say the water. But uh, who knows? Yeah, it is. It, is it exists. It is. Yeah, exactly. It does definitely exist on that. You and Carol, and I'm about to say, I'm a, as big a Carol fan on the as anybody on the planet. Every time, even when she's flustered, she has a smile on her face. I just, you know, because she's got a lot of stuff on her shoulders sometimes, and you you can tell. But she's y'all are just great on the air, and it's just oh, it's fun to listen to the show. And how did that pairing come together? That was my idea when uh, Deep South Dining was anchorless or hostless. Uh, I went to see Jason Klein, and I said, Jason, I have an idea. Uh, I said, I'd like to come on and be the host of Deep South Dining, and I want to bring in my friend Carol Puckett Palmer as my co-host. And he said, I'm not familiar with Carol, so I said, let me tell you about her. And he said, hold on a minute. Let me go get Java Chapman. He's the producer of this show. So he goes and gets Java. So Java, Jason, and I are sitting in Jason's office. And I'm making a pitch that I want to be the host of Deep South Dining, and I want Carol Puckett Palmer to be my co-host. And a week later, we were we were in the studio, and uh, golly, that's been four-plus years ago. We've yeah. had so much fun with that show. I tell people, regardless of what they think about the show, whether they think we're on track or off track or we're doing good work or we're not doing good work, for me, I get to spend one hour every Monday with one of my best friends and it just so happens to be on live radio and we are just visiting. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It comes across on live radio that y'all are best friends. 
Yeah, we are. And great that really that does make a that makes a huge difference. One last question before we go: What do you think is your favorite memory? Of 40 years? And that's a hard question, I know, because I know there's a ton of great memories that you've had over the years. But is there just anything that just jumps out at you? There's so many, but I, I quickly, my mind goes to this. There's a photograph of, of, of my wife, Vivian, at the time, holding my daughter, Zita. She has on a little green uh, diddly bop. I have just gone through the parade. It's about year two, maybe three. And I walk up to them, and Zeta reaches out to give me a kiss, and someone captured it on film. And that really, for me, sort of summarizes the parade. There's Tiny Tim, who was Grand Marshal one year, who did a set of music as a part of what we brought him here to do. I asked him, I booked him for a show and said, oh, by the way, would you be Grand Marshal of the parade? But he closed his show. We put a band together for Tiny Tim. A lot of people thought Tiny Tim was just a a cartoon character, but he was a musician. He played the ukulele, he sang, and that's really how he got on the Johnny Carson show and ultimately married Miss Vicky and became Tiny Tim. But he did a set of music with this band, Raphael Sims and others. George Lawrence backed him up. And he closed with Stairway to Heaven on the ukulele, (laughs) on his back, jamming, and people were going berserko. And and I was up in my apartment overlooking the stage and seeing Tiny Tim down there on the stage, on his back, Stairway to Heaven, killing it. And I thought... This is a moment. You can't write that stuff. I mean, there's... <laughs> Malcolm, thank you so much. Um, website or anything that folks can find out more information? Well, just search for or Google how St. Patty's Day Parade Easy enough. For, for that info. We really uh, are looking forward to seeing everybody in the streets on Saturday, uh, March the 25th. Um, it's going to be a great one. We just need a little bit of sunshine, and we've already got a whole lot of love. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and a special thanks to our guest, Malcolm White, for joining us today. And if you'd like to hear this or any past episode, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or on our MPB Public Media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio with episode and the podcast produced by the incredible and wonderful Jermaine Flood. Join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Y'all have a great week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.